Our God, we thank you for the hope of the gospel that's for all people. Uh, We pray for the towns and uh, regions of our country. And we pray that the good news of Jesus Christ will ring out so that many people will find life and forgiveness and hope and love in him. Uh, And uh, we pray now as we hear your word read that you might soften our own hearts. Uh, Help us to see you and know you more. And we pray that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's Matthew chapter 8, starting at verse 1. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralysed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, Shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, Many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfil what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Well, thank you, and again, thanks. It is really great to be back. love coming down here to Victor Harbour. Uh, to this very warm community and it's just been a warm welcome from the moment uh, we turned up. Um, is it just me or when you walk into a room, perhaps walk into a church like I did this morning and we're just confused? Um, we live in a world that's now more contagious than ever. Uh, the fear of catching something. Uh, I walked in the door and um, you know, Steve Hodge bounded up to visit. And, you know, normally it'd be that hearty shake of the hands, but he, we stood there looking at each other and he goes, 
are you shaking hands or what are you doing? Like, you know, we, we shook hands. And of course, as I always do with Duncan, or pre-COVID, I walked up to give him a big hug. He goes, whoa, whoa, no, just with the elbow tap. Um, and that's it, isn't it? We've, we've developed in the last 15 months so quickly, I mean, this, this worldwide pandemic, this virus um, that respects no one, no age, doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, uh, it, it, it respects no one. We've developed these certain COVID rituals and social taboos, haven't we? Um, you know, I've just described coming into here, but it's, it's everywhere. Like, I've got a family that loves to give you a hug and give you a kiss, and, you know, it's, sometimes it's just awkward. You arrive at a gathering. You find yourself sitting next to someone with a runny nose and a cough, like happened to me two weeks ago when I went to a conference in Sydney, sat down, started chatting, it was clear that this person was not well, sinus, and I'm thinking, I, couldn't, I just couldn't focus on what she was saying. I thought, are you infected? Do you have COVID? Have you had a COVID test? Um, do I change seats? Um, now, it turns out it was just a bit of sinus from the air conditioning and she was fine. But am I alone in, in, in this sort of like, this is it, isn't it? Um, it's, 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 it's controlling us. It's not just governments closing borders and telling us when we can go out or not. But the, the fears of mortality, the fears of death. For many people in the world, their whole day, in fact, I want to suggest for most people in the world, certainly from the other big religions, their whole day is dominated by fears and rules around ritual purity and defilement. A friend of mine was visiting her Muslim friend in hospital in Melbourne. She noticed her Quran on her bedside table. Uh, she was trying to bridge a conversation to talk about Jesus. Uh, she asked if she was reading her Quran, and the woman shook her head. She said, I can't. I'm menstruating at the moment. And then she turned with a puzzled look to her friend and said, You don't read your holy book when you're unclean, do you? I wonder how you would respond. For most people in major religions, ritual defilement and impurity, it prevents them from attending prayer, fasting, coming to church, uh, touching or reading their holy book, going into another person's house, having table fellowship. Uh, so death, touching a dead body, being in a room, a house with it where a dead person, uh, most bodily discharges, they ritually defile a Jew, a Muslim and uh, a lot of Hindus uh, they make them unclean. What this means for increasing numbers of people immigrating to this country, immigrating to your suburb, uh, to Victor, uh, immigrating to regional and rural communities like Roxby Downs, is that for them, life is binary. That is, they're either in a state of ritual purity or a state of impurity and defilement and uncleanness. And so, as we've heard, to be a Muslim or a Jewish woman is to be ritually impure or unclean for at least a week every month. Now, this is part of the reason why Matthew has picked these 10 miracles, these 10 stories that you're about to spend the next few weeks looking at. A lot of them have to do uh, with this worldview and uh, what Jesus brings, what Jesus offers. And so that first point, there's only three points this morning. We live in a contagious world, but we have a far more beautiful and contagious Christ. And what a contagious faith 
looks and sounds like. Contagious world, contagious Christ, contagious faith. Just some context because we're picking up Matthew. You've had a great series in the Sermon on the Mount. He's just given one of his most memorable speeches in history. Uh, Words that are part of our vocabulary today, aren't they? An eye for an eye, turn the other cheek, love your enemies, blessed are the cheese, uh, peacemakers, not the cheesemakers, sorry. Um, They are blessed as well, though. Uh, More importantly, Jesus is teaching about who he is and what he's come to do in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' claim is that he alone can give you and I the greater righteousness that a person needs if they are to enter the kingdom of heaven with him. Jesus' claim is that he's the last day judge. He has the authority to banish people to hell or to save and accept them into heaven. It's why the angel has commanded the Virgin Mary, Matthew records, to call the baby Jesus because he would be God saving from sin. Jesus' claim is that he alone knows the Father's will and so wise is the person who is about building their life on Jesus' every word. And so at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the bridging uh, passage introducing these next couple of chapters, we read this right at the end of Matthew 7. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law who quoted other people like a good academic. Now here's the thing. I don't know when you were last amazed, blown away by Jesus, something he said or did. But we know that being amazed by someone, and especially being amazed by Jesus, it says nothing about whether we're actually following Jesus. Being amazed by Jesus says nothing about our heart commitment to Jesus, nothing about our heart's secret loves and loyalties. When it comes to the God question, there's only one question you need answered. And Matthew, he, he's, he's written such a fantastic gospel. He gives us that question after these 10 miracles in chapter 11. John the Baptist, he's in prison. He's hearing, he hears the reports about the, 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 these 10 miracles that Jesus does, and, and, and I suspect a lot more. He hears the reports. He can't see it for himself. He can only hear the eyewitness testimony. That's what we've got in the Bible, isn't it? We read in verses 2 and 3 of Matthew 11. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for the other? Are you the one whom God has prophesied about in hundreds and hundreds of places in Scripture? The one who's expected, the seed of Abraham, the son of David, the Messiah, the Christ. Are you the one, the one you've been learning about, prophesied about in Isaiah in your last series? If Jesus is Emmanuel, God come in person, then not only is Jesus the end of your search for God or any person's search for God, but Jesus actually is the way to God. He's the one-stop shop. If you've got Jesus, you don't need to bother at looking at any other philosophy or religion or um, spiritual movement. It's why Matthew records these ten, I suspect hundreds of miracles and signs that Jesus did. Not only are they reliable evidence, historically reliable, verifiable evidence for Jesus, he really is the one. But like a good movie trailer, 
these ten miracles, they give a foretaste of a new creation, a foretaste of what life is like with Jesus now and especially what life is going to be like in the new heavens and earth. And so we're looking at these three today, four if you break up the last two. And so you, we can look there at the beginning of, uh, of chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, that when Jesus came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. A bit of background. You go back to uh, Leviticus chapter 13, uh, verse 45, we read that a person with such an infectious disease must wear torn clothes, let his hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of his face and cry out, unclean, unclean. The worst thing about being someone with a skin condition like leprosy in Jesus' day, it wasn't the physical ravages of the disease. It was all the social and religious stigmas of being defiled, polluted, impure, unclean. You were locked out of relationships, of homes and society cut off from family, often lived outside the city in leper communes. You couldn't go into any house. I mean, this was the worst sort of COVID quarantine or lockdown every day of your life. And so, for example, you're standing under a tree uh, and a ritually clean man or woman passes by you. The, the scribes and Pharisees taught that even if they walked past a leper standing under a tree, they would become defiled and be made unclean and unable to go to temple and participate in worship. People walked big circles around you, fearing you were more socially contagious than carrying the most deadly, virulent form of COVID. They looked down at you, not with compassion, but with contempt, with fear of getting contaminated, ritually and socially defiled. Do you get the drift of this, this contaminated, contagious world that we live in? Getting leprosy was like getting a death sentence. Like the bleeding woman that you're going to um, learn about in, in, in the next week or two, the one who's been bleeding for 12 years nonstop. Why is she so desperate to touch Jesus? Because she's like a leper. She's locked out. For always, every day, unclean, impure. And that's why this leper is so desperate to come to Jesus, having heard the reports about his authority and compassion. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. For years, this man had been despised by all, looked upon with fear and loathing, but not Jesus. Mark tells us that Jesus looks upon the man and feels the strongest sort of compassion for him. Verse 3, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Of course, we know if love is to be loved, it's not just to have the power or authority to do something. You've actually got to want to do it as well. You've got to will it. The whole future of this man's life turned on Jesus' willingness to bear his defilement and shame. I am willing, says Jesus. Now, in the eyes of those there, in his disciples, he, this is Jesus doing the unthinkable. He's making himself unclean. He's defiling himself. But here's the point. Such is the authority and power of Christ, 
this contagious Christ. Such is Jesus' contagious purity. In healing the leper of his disease, it's like the floodgates of a dam opening. The purity of Jesus washes over him and cleanses him immediately, completely, of all leprosy, of all defilement, of all impurity. You see, however contagious the leper is, whatever, what Jesus is offering is so much more contagious. His whole life is overrun by Christ and his, his perfection. And so, as you've been learning, and as Matthew quotes at the end of our Bible reading in verse 17, this was to fulfil what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Friends, to be a leper often meant you were under God's curse. Numbers 12, uh, Job 18. Healings were rare. They were thought to be as difficult as raising the dead, and only God did them. And of course, this all hints towards what these same hands of Jesus, uh, the Son of God, would do on his cross a few years later at Calvary, where Jesus was stricken, smitten, afflicted by God, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, where he, the Lord, would lay down his own, his own son, the life of his own son. He'd put on him the iniquity of us all to heal us of sin and bring us peace. Back to the leper. Of course, Jesus commands the leper, go show yourself to the priest as a testimony to them. Uh, under Old Covenant, Old Testament law, for a leper um, to be able to rejoin community, they had to be officially declared clean by the priest. Can you see just how radically life-transforming coming to Jesus is? And it's still happening today. Of course, there's all sorts of moral shame and impurity and defilement that we feel, isn't it? Our conscience is plagued and stained by the shame of sin. Regina's story is one of incest as a child, physical abuse and subsequent bondage to drugs. Regina felt worthless. The thought of God filled her with fear because she thought he would treat her the same way that all men had, badly. After eight abortions, Regina was ready to die. After several suicide attempts, Regina finally enrolled in a teen challenge program. In Jesus, she met a God who began to put her life back together, a God who showed her she was precious in his sight. She was deeply loved by him. In Jesus, Regina met a God who healed her, who took all of the, the shame and the guilt and the horribleness of everything that she'd done, but also that had been done to her. He took it all. He healed her by his grace. And bit by bit, the power of this grace put her life back together, gave her hope. Regina writes, I now feel pure and clean and more innocent than when I was born. That's beautiful, isn't it? Do you know this life-transforming authority and compassion of Jesus, cleansing your life and conscience of sin, shame and guilt? Well, 
How should we respond to this cleansing, sin-purifying authority? We, we meet uh, a Gentile with an amazing face, don't we? That, that next, uh, next story. Verse 5, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralysed at home, suffering terribly. Now, Capernaum was a, a Roman garrison town. Um, the Roman garrison there probably had conscripted soldiers from Lebanon and Syria and places like that. What does Jesus say to the centurion? Um, let's go. Uh, in French, Alonso. Uh, we we travelled Europe for a few weeks before COVID and uh, our friends are always going, Alonso, let's go. You know, come on, <laughs> move on. And that's really what Jesus is saying here. Let's go and I'll heal him, says Jesus. Verses 8 and 9. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say, go. And he goes and to another come. And he comes and to my servant, do this. And he does it. You see, this centurion, he gets completely Jesus' stunning authority over spirits and diseases and, 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 and things in creation. Like the leper, the centurion has heard enough about Jesus to know that when this Jesus speaks, it's God speaking. Diseases, they respond to his word. Jesus hears this Gentile soldier's faith and he's astonished. Not because this man's faith is big, but because of the seed of who his faith is in. It's in Jesus. Just say the word, says Jesus, and I know he'll be healed. Say the word, Jesus. And sure enough, the servant is healed. What does Jesus say? Uh, always wanting to use um, his actions uh, as a platform to teach, to teach the word, to teach about who he is and what he's come and how he should respond. Verse 11, Jesus says, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Now, of course, like a sonar, these words, they echo to all sorts of parts of the Old Testament, all sorts of prophecies. On numerous occasions in the Old Testament part of the Bible, God talks about people from all nations coming, streaming to him, Isaiah 2, streaming to him, um, enjoying right relationship with God using dinner party language. And so, for example, Isaiah 25, have you done Isaiah 25 yet? Yeah, beautiful words, verses 6 to 9. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make of all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. And God will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. God will swallow up death forever. Can you see that in saving this non-Jewish centurion servant from death, Jesus is showing that he is the Lord God come in person to swallow up death forever. Proven beyond doubt, of course, by Jesus' own bodily resurrection from the dead. It's with this no-name, Gentile, centurion sort of faith that any person from any nation can come and reserve their own seat with Jesus at this banquet. 
I, I think it's fantastic that Duncan took the time to read out those ten points of doctrine. There are churches, sadly, who have stopped preaching the bodily resurrection of Jesus. They've stopped preaching this hope. They don't believe that death has been defeated by Jesus. Friends, it doesn't matter who you are or what you are, who or what you've done, leper or soldier, Jesus will welcome those who come to him. Why does Jesus say what he does next? Matthew 8, verse 12. People from the east and west will come while the sons of the kingdom, talking about his own people, Israel, will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Of course, this, this picture of weeping and gnashing of teeth is Jesus using sort of the limits of language, really, uh, quoting the Old Testament to communicate the horror uh, of hell, the, the horror, of, horror of a future, of eternal judgment, the horror of those who live and die rejecting Jesus and his authoritative saving word for their lives. Jesus said there, there are only two destinies when we die. When we die and stand before Jesus... It'll either be a day of great comfort as he welcomes you uh, and those on our watch, as he welcomes them into heaven. Or it'll be a day of great terror. Death will be a terror for the first, when for the first time this person understands the full and awesome authority of Jesus to judge. Now, it's not palatable to talk about this stuff. I'm only talking about it because Jesus talks about it first. He's actually the person in the New Testament who talks most about heaven and hell. An ABC radio commentary called, And When I Die, Will I Be Dead? It tells of a schoolboy suffering from multiple heart attacks who departed his body and entered the spirit world on meeting his dead relatives. He was taught about life after death. He was taught there was no personal judgment. He was taught that all spiritual paths are equally valid approaches. And these stories are common these days, aren't they? Near-death experiences. In contrast, consider Dr. Morris Rawlings' research He's a, he's a cardiac surgeon. Uh, he, he's, his book is called Beyond Death's Door. I was res- resuscitating a terrified patient who told me he was actually in hell. He begged me to get, out of, get him out of hell and not to let him die. When I fully realised how genuinely and extremely frightened he was, I too became frightened. Now I feel assured that there is life after death and not all of it is good. God used Dr. Rawlings' discovery to bring him from scepticism to Christian faith. Now, friends, we all know that knowing the truth about how bad something is sets us free to make good, wise, and life-promoting choices. And my hope and prayer is we do the same. But, friends, Jesus was dead for three days and came back. We can trust the reliability of Jesus. If anyone should know what's on the other side, Jesus does. And so we come to this last, uh, third and last story, um, and I'll tell you what, I wish I had a friend like this I could just bring home, you know, to fix my mother-in-law up when she's not well. I reckon Peter would have been in her good books. Um, 
But you've got the first two healings. They're concluded with a brief statement about mother-in-law being healed. And again, to have a fever was to actually have a disease. Uh, and therefore, you and your house, you were defiled. You're ritually unclean. Again, here is a picture. He's, he's come near to the leper and touched him. He's healed the centurion's servant at a distance, just with a word. And now here is Jesus coming again near to Peter's mother-in-law and touching her hand to heal her instantly of her fever and whatever was causing it. Instantly removing her ritual and social defilement, instantly purifying not just her but her house, making it clean and a place where anyone could come. And they do come, don't they? And again, on view here is the authority of Jesus, how powerful and instant and complete her healing is. That Jesus, um, that that Peter's um, mother-in-law gets off her bed straight away and starts to serve, is it hints at what the rest of the New Testament teaches, that to know Jesus' saving power is to be in his service. It's to live each day to serve him, his people and the lost. And finally, many do come, many are healed. Um, and with the sun is setting, the Sabbath is over. It, it's like a woe Adelaide crowd streaming in. The whole town, they, they're coming, the demon-possessed. And Jesus, his authority, it's complete. He's healing them all, making all of them clean, removing their ritual defilement. And again, it just proves that you know, Jesus' display of power, they weren't sort of occasional one-offs. It's like a mini-movie trailer of people coming from east and west to be healed, of, of really what the new creation is going to be like. No more death, suffering, tears, defilement. It's why in Revelation we read that the saints are clothed in white. Now Matthew, of course, again, he finishes again with that verse, doesn't he? Um, verse 17 that all of this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. It's from Isaiah 53, as you know. Uh, Matthew's just reminding us that uh, the illnesses, the diseases, you know, the, the illness, if you like, the defilement that Jesus came to remove is the defilement of sin in the world, original sin and our own sin as our substitute on his cross sent to suffer in our place for all our sin and iniquity to bring peace with God. Well, as we finished, all of this, knowing the, 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 the power, the purifying power of Jesus to cleanse our conscience of all guilt and sin and shame for all time forever, that's what's on offer in this gospel a gift from God that we can all have now. And I don't know where, where you've come in from today. I don't know where you're at in your life and your thinking. I don't know whether you're amazed by Jesus. I don't know. None of us can see into each other's heart to know whether it's been overrun by this gospel, by this Lord, this Saviour, this love. But the invitation always is to come and to keep coming, to repent, to turn and to trust like the leper, like the centurion, asking Jesus to heal you of your sin.
that you might reserve a spot with him in his heavenly table. These ten miracles that you're about to keep looking at, they teach us that Jesus really does have the authority. Whatever you've done, whatever others have done to you, there's no greater cleansing power. Just like Regina experienced. A contagious world, a beautifully contagious Christ. And our response is a contagious faith. A faith that not only saves us but is contagious that we, wanna, we want others to have and to know. Of course, this is the gospel that my friend's Muslim friend, as she lied in the hospital bed, this is the gospel that she, she knew that she needed to share with her. The good news, it needs to be shared with all the Reginas in the world as well with all the people of all the nations in the world, here in Victor Harbour and wider afield, every city, every regional, rural and remote community. As Jesus promised at the start of his Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. Let me pray. Merciful Father, we just give thanks that we have Matthew's gospel biography uh, of your son. We give thanks uh, for these ten uh, miracles, these ten episodes that have so much to teach us about the, the beautiful authority of Jesus, of, of his purifying, cleansing power of his grace on the cross for us. Please now, Will you help all of us to respond as we need to, that we might know more fully, more wonderfully, this, this cleansing power. Please cleanse our conscience as we pray. And as you do that, invigorate us to love and to serve those near to us and those far as well, that we might be part of your great gospel mission enterprise to take this gospel, this good news, to people everywhere. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.